It is a great pleasure to be here, and uh, if there's any place in the Bay Area that I would appreciate being on stage, it's right here. And, uh, you know, you may not realize, some of you do, but uh, you may not realize how great and significant this place is to me as well as to our family. And uh, Linda and I, when we were uh, uh, dating, right, I don't think we were engaged yet when we came here, uh, it's before this facility was finished, and uh, we were still worshiping over there next door, when we, the first Sunday that we moved into this facility, Linda and I were the first people to join the congregation as it moved into this facility. So, yeah, so. And then we joined the young adults group at the time, which just meant the lovebirds who were uh, looking at it. And uh, Bryce Jessup over here. Bryce, why don't you stand up? A long and faithful uh, pastor of the service here. Uh, as Bryce would say, he had a few successful uh, that he uh, uh, marriage counseled. Uh, I think you still claim Linda and I as one of those. Amen, amen. Uh, but it was uh, Frank and Jan Shatner, Tom and Sherry Daggett, uh, Pat and Linda Gelsinger, uh, the Ewings. There's a whole bunch of us. And then in rapid succession, we got married, and Linda and I got married right here. Yeah. And... Uh, uh, the, uh, in the uh, wedding rehearsal, right here, we're going through the rehearsal kind of stuff, you know, all that awkward blocking and what you're supposed to do. And as we finish the service, Bryce says, and you may now kiss the bride, and this was in the practice session, you know, right here, I swept Linda off of her feet and go running out those doors right there. <laughs> and Linda looks at me and says, you better not do that tomorrow. <laughs> So, and it, our wedding pictures, as we turned after he said of the real wedding, not the practice session, you know, she is clenching my arm, right? You know, I still got some finger marks left there, right? You know, so that I would not sweep her off her feet and go running out of this facility here. So, so many good memories from this. Uh, we had, uh, we had all four of our children. Uh, while attending here, uh, Elizabeth, uh, Josiah, Nathan, and Micah. I don't know, if, is this still a baptistry up here? Yeah, so uh, we baptized uh, Elizabeth, and the other kids were baptized up in Oregon. But I'll just tell you, the memories to us just go on and on and on for being at Central Christian Church. And I'll say to you all, thank you for being faithful to the Lord these many years, because that's over 30 years and here you are, still gathering, lifting up his name. So for many of you who don't know me as well, uh, is this working? Oh, right. So uh, let me tell you a little bit more about myself. I'm a farm boy from Pennsylvania, uh, born and raised in the Berks Country Amish area. So if you know that area of Pennsylvania, you know, the Amish are the ultra-liberal. And then you have the Mennonites who are like... Or, ultra-conservative, sorry, right, ultra-ultra-conservative, and then you have the Mennonites who are like really conservative, and we were the Pennsylvania Dutch who were comparatively liberal, but still like really conservative uh, in that area, and uh, that's where I grew up. I always thought I'd be a farmer. Uh, my father was nine of ten children. He never had his own farm, so what's a farmer without a farm? I was the oldest son. I thought I'd inherit his farm. He didn't have one. I sort of stumbled into technology. Uh, I skipped my last year and a half of high school, got my associate's degree. Intel recruited me when I was uh, 18 years old to come to California. 
and I came to California to interview. I promised my mom they're crazy out here in California, cults and earthquakes and all that crazy stuff. Uh, but uh, Intel made me a job offer, and you know, when you know, it's an 18-year-old kid, they offer a free trip to California. What do you say? Yeah, that's easy. And uh, they offered me a job to work and go to school here. So at 18 years old, I remember my first day rolling into uh, uh, California, El Camino Real in uh, San Tomas, right? And I remember a low rider pulled up on one side of me, right? And this rocking car who probably had, you know, a thousand, you know, K watts of output in his car. And I'm like, where on earth have I landed? but came into uh, California and uh, started working at Intel. Uh, and the first uh, Sunday, you know, there's two, I, I found there was two good reasons to go to church growing up. Very traditional. I went to church uh, at six days old. I was baptized with full knowledge of what I was doing, became president of the youth group. But I went to church dutifully growing up in Pennsylvania for two reasons. One is I'd get in trouble with dad if I didn't. And I go to church to meet girls and impress their mothers and grandmothers. So what did I do when I came to California? Went to church to meet girls and impress their mothers and grandmothers. I met Linda the first Sunday uh, out here. Uh, we uh, uh, sh- uh, sort of joined the young adults uh, group uh, with her. And she invited me. We weren't dating at this point, but she invited me to Christmas dinner at her house. And it was Linda, her mom, and her grandmother <laughs> impressed the mothers and gra- hey, this is a good formula for you young guys here let me just tell you this works proven <laughs> she invites me over for Christmas Eve dinner three generations grandma and I hit it off great right Noni just I mean you know what the, yeah grandma and I hit it off a great and uh, grandma says as I leave that night she closes the door turns to Linda and says he's the one first night And Linda starts enumerating my lengthy list of shortcomings. (laughs) It was not love at first sight. But we'll we'll move quickly forward. So we, you know, uh, uh, and I'll tell a little bit more about this later, but uh, came to Christ at Central Christian Church or Santa Clara Christian Church. Linda and I moved over here, joined, got married, had all four of our children. And here's some pictures of our family, uh, Elizabeth, uh, Josiah. Elizabeth was a school teacher at Valley Christian School. Uh, she just had her first uh, child uh, up here in my arms. Uh, a little Evangeline, we call them the E3, right? Elizabeth, uh, Emmanuel, and Evangeline. Uh, and uh, she's uh, taken a year off at least to be a mother. And then uh, Josiah, uh, our son with the three kids up here, uh, three little daughters. And uh, he works at Seagate here in the valley. And uh, Nathan, our son, and his wife, uh, Rachel, they have a daughter and two sons that they're fostering to adopt. And uh, so uh, uh, little Cody and little Kevin, and he's on staff at Venture Christian Church. And so three of our four, like good salmon, have swum home to their birthplace here in the Bay Area, and we're just thrilled to be back in the Bay Area. And then our youngest, Micah, still lives up uh, in Oregon, and Micah's sort of our special child. 
He was a bit of a prodigal for a number of years, and now we're in relationship uh, with him again. But it's been quite the journey. And now with seven grandchildren, all of them in the Bay Area, you all have a lot to be proud of in our family. So we thank you for our great family and the great results that we've been able to bring forward. So that's a little bit about us. And of course, nothing of that would have happened without my bride, Linda. So Linda, why don't you just stand up? She hates it when I do that. (laughs) And I've had a tremendous uh, professional uh, career. And as I say, the Cinderella career, you know, from farm boy to now tech leader uh, in the world. And USB, Wi-Fi, if you've used a personal computer, I helped uh, create it. Uh, Now at uh, VMware, uh, the cloud, mobility, you know, uh, artificial intelligence, driving many of these uh, technologies, you know, simply been a Cinderella career. And for a farm boy in Pennsylvania who thought I'd be farming to now being a tech leader widely recognized around the world, what extraordinary blessings God has brought to us. And VMware is your typical Silicon Valley success story if there is such a thing. A couple of professors, a couple of students out of Stanford started the company 21 uh, years ago, uh, became one of the fastest growing uh, software companies uh, in the Bay Area. Today we have about 25,000 employees. So as I like to say, I have a church of 25,000 that I'm responsible for. And John Orkberg, the senior pastor at Menlo Park, one time he was sitting in the front row when I made that statement, and he shouts out, he says, Pat, if I paid my congregants as much as you pay your employees, I'd have more showing up too. (laughs) But I do think about it as my my community, the souls that I'm responsible for. And just like Tim is passionate about each one of you, the families, the communities that you represent, So am I passionate about my 25,000 employees, their life, their successes, their families, and the communities that they're in. You know, we're off to build what we call a values-based company, and these are our values as we call them, epic. We're an epic company with epic employees, with epic products, with epic customers. It just sort of works. Execution, passion, integrity, customer, community. And as a Christian CEO... When I talk about our values, it's like a sermon without the scripture references. Because where do values emerge from? Where is that rock, that foundation that you pivot all of the basis? You know, doing a great job for customers. Where does that come from? Operating with the highest integrity. Where does that come from? Doing a great job and improving every community that we're in. Where does that come from? Every one of these is just based on good scriptural foundation in our nation. And I'm proud to be the CEO of a visible company, impactful in the industry, and my little church of 25,000. Now, as I mentioned, when I came to the Bay Area, went to church, first time here, uh, went to meet a girl, I succeeded, but I also showed up as what I will call a lukewarm Christian. I'd go to church on Sundays. And on Monday, Tuesday through Friday, I was pretty mediocre. And Saturdays, I was pretty rotten. And then we'd show up at church again on Sunday. And the sermon title in February of 1980 
was hot or cold based on Revelation 3, 15 or 16. I know your deeds that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other, but since you're neither cold nor hot but lukewarm, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And that became the verse that convicted me that Sunday that says, hot or cold, Pat, which is it going to be? And I had been sort of happy, just sort of skating along, you know, shoving up, meeting girls, impressing their parents, and being rotten the rest of the week. And on that Sunday, I made the decision that I was going to be hot for God. Not necessarily knowing full well what that meant at the time, but I question and challenge each one of you, are you hot for God? Have you made that choice to make that decision? Because God said, I prefer that you were cold. I prefer that I had nothing to do with you if you were lukewarm and just showing up here. He wants you to make a decision. Be hot or cold for him. And on that Sunday, I claimed Christ as my Lord and Savior and began a journey that continues to this day to be hot for God. And I'd encourage each one of you today, do not leave this place without making that decision to be hot or cold for God. As I mentioned, I came here working for Intel, a great job. And, uh, you know, as I showed up at Intel, you know, it's like there was no cows kicking, no horses biting, no hay dirt covering me. I thought this was heaven. And they paid me overtime. I never been paid overtime in my life working on the farm. This is great, right? And I thought it was wonderful. So I'm working aggressively. I started going to school at Santa Clara and then at Stanford uh, University for my graduate work. So I'm working full-time, going to school full-time. Met Linda, and we start dating. And uh, she had a disease, endometriosis, which uh, basically said kids now or never. So we got married and started a family. So now it's full-time work, full-time school, and full-time family. What do you think? Pretty nuts. Yeah. And out of that period came what I'll call my juggling skills. And that's sort of the key things I just want to spend a few minutes on with you this morning, going through those juggling skills and what it meant. Now, the, 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 this idea of the juggling skills, you know, I turned it into a book. I can blame this book on Bryce Jessup. Because he was a mentor uh, through me over the years. I had given this talk a number of times at the Intel Christian Bible Network. And, you know, some outside of Intel had heard about it. So I replicated it in different professional settings when I was traveling and so on. And Bryce kept badgering me. He says, Pat, you need to write a book. Pat, you need to write a book. And Linda said, no, Pat, you don't need to write a book. You don't have enough time to write a book. And so I, and, you know, being the kind of geeky kind of I can do this, you know, kind of guy I am, I wrote the entire book without telling Linda. Right? And then I come home and I says, you know, I think Bryce is right, honey. I think I really should turn this into a book. And she says, you don't have time to do that. And then I pulled out the manuscript on the table. It says, you devious thing. I'm proud of myself. And she's ripping me to shreds. <laughs> but because of Bryce, it became a book. And we have some out in the lobby to talk about. But just a few of the thoughts from the book this morning. And the first one of those I call is make a mission statement. This passage in Ephesians, right, I think is so powerful. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Making the most of every opportunity. What's the one resource that you can't get more of? That's simple. Tomorrow morning, right, you start with the same 24-hour clock I do. And the next day, the same 24-hour clock I do. It's not a question of do you have time, it's a question of how you use your time. 
I'd gotten to this point in uh, the, uh, I was 26 years old or so, 27 years old. I had written my first book. How many of you read my first book? Did you? Program in the 83, 86? Yeah, not that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Program, it's a thriller. You get to the end of the book, you turn paging on. Oh, yeah, it is so good, right? And I'd got my first patent. You know, variable length, uh, multiply, carry, look ahead, add, or how many of you have read it? Yeah, okay, anyway. But I got my first patent. I'm an inventor, written my first book. I got to be the youngest vice president in the history of Intel uh, at the time. And all of a sudden, I got to this period, huh, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? Right? And there was a period of deep soul searching. And out of that came this idea of a mission statement, getting very thoughtful about what you want to do with the rest of your life. Just writing down, and I break it into you know, your mission statement, you know, what you want that epitaph or your headstone to read when you pass on to eternity, you know, what your values are. You know, what do you want to be known for? When somebody says, you know, you know, what's Pat like? This is what you want them to say. And then finally, goals. And goals that you measure yourself on. I usually measure myself and go check myself against my goals at tax time. I'm already depressed. Right, so it's a good time, you know, go measure yourself regularly, but setting goals, measuring yourself against those, and deciding very explicitly what you're going to do. That with urgency, with intentionality. And as you see here from Paul in Ephesians 5, taking the most of your time and using it effectively. So I'd ask each one of you, do you have a plan for life? Have you figured out what you want to do with your most precious resource? Second, setting priorities. Now, in Silicon Valley, the priorities of the valley are work, family, maybe God, but maybe not. What are the God-given priorities? God, family, work. So the question is, how do I live by those God-given priorities versus the Silicon Valley priorities that we live inside of. God, family, work, or work, family, God. Which is it going to be? And how do you do that every day? How do you start every day putting God on the throne and saying, I'm going to start with him in the word. I'm going to study. I'm going to be in prayer. I'm going to put him at the front every day. How are you going to prioritize family? Because you get to work, and do you want to be successful at work? Of course you do, right? Does work want you to be successful? Of course they do. You're in harmony. You want to work more? They want you to work more. Oh, life is good. So you have to put boundaries on how you decide and commit yourself. And then finally, being a great employee. And I'll say that your Christian witness in the workplace starts with one place, being a great employee. So God, family, work. Starting every day in devotion, in your personal time with him putting him on the throne every day. How many of you commute more than five minutes to work? Okay. Do you pray and put God on the throne of your commute time? Right? Hey, it's free time. You're commuting anyway. Pray. Keep your eyes open though. It's okay. Right? I checked with God. It is okay if you pray with your eyes open while you're commuting. So just do it. Right? You know, put him on the throne every day. Right? You know, and then commit to putting family in his right place. One of the things Linda and I did, and we have 30 years of history on this, was the at-home chart. Now, I'm a geeky engineer, so we would keep score. 
Okay, so my secretary would produce the at-home chart, right? And if I was home by 6.15, I got a point. If I was home by 5 o'clock, I got two points. If I was home after 6.15, I got zero points, right? That's the numerator. The denominator was the number of work days. If I was gone weekends, that was negative points. And we had an independent arbiter because my secretary would produce it monthly for both Linda and I. Right? So now the discussion wasn't, you know, have you been home? No, I haven't. Yes. You know, now, now she would say things like, I haven't felt like you've been home. Oh, that's totally different. <laughs> so keeping score, dating your spouse, dating your kids, God, family, work, and every day putting God on the throne and living by those priorities. And the third of the juggling act is mentors. And I just simply say, help along the way. I was uh, responsible for taping out the 8386. Now, you know, this is a very geeky tech thing, but it's basically assembling the chip database at the end of the design project and sending it off to manufacturing. And I'm giving an update to the executive staff of Intel. I'm maybe 24 years old at the time, and I'm presenting to Andy Grove, the seminal figure of Silicon Valley, Gordon Moore, Moore's Law, right? Robert Noyce, the uh, uh, Nobel Prize winning inventor of the integrated circuit there in the front row. And I'm giving an update, right, at this point. You know, so dweeb, pat, you know, gods of industry, right? And I'm chewing them out because my computers aren't stable for me to tape out this chip. Right? You have to fix these things because I can't get my chip out the door. Right? What a precocious little brat I was. My phone rings a day or two later, and I pick up the phone, and I'm working like crazy, and I don't want to be interrupted. Who is it? And the voice comes back, Andy. And I said, Andy who? And the voice comes back, Andy Grove. You know, I'm panicked beside myself, right? And he starts shelling me with questions. What do you read? What are you studying? What are your career objectives? What's your next assignment? You know, I'm like, blah, right? And he says to me, he says, be in my office. In a, those are lousy answers. Be in my office in a week with better ones. When the president says, be in his office in a week, what do you do? You either leave the country or show up. And that began a mentoring relationship that lasted for 35 years, right? Literally to the point that he passed away. And mentoring with Andy Grove was going to the dentist and not getting Novocaine. He was tough. He was hard. But he made you better. And you need those type of influences in your life. People who are making you better. And whatever phase of life you're in, whatever epoch of life you're in, you need people who are grinding off those rough edges and fully experiencing and exposing the great facets that God has built into your character. And I call it here Ecclesiastes 4, this passage, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. And I believe you need Christian mentors, you need buddies on the way, and you need people that you're pouring into. And if I could, you know, the three strands are like Paul, Barnabas, and Timothy, people who are breathing into your life, buddies on the way, and people that you are passing it forward and breathing into their life. And so I would just challenge each one of you, who are your Paul Barnabas and Timothy, because I had people like Andy Grove and Bryce Jessup who were breathing into me. I have a buddy, uh, Gregory, who he and I pray together each week. We pray and fast on Thursdays together. And then I have some people that I'm breathing into their life. Who do you have who are making you better?
And then you turn around and you hand them that mission statement, right? You say, is this who I am? Help me to become the person that I've laid out to be. So these would be some of the things that I would say are the basis for a life of a juggler. Mentors, priorities, and clearly putting God on the throne every day and setting a clear path for what you want to do with your most precious resource, your time. Now, how many of you are Christians? Okay. How many of you are full-time ministers? Okay. Thank you, Tim. Good job. Okay. Okay. How many of you are Christians? Okay. We're going to try this one more time. How many of you are full-time ministers? Okay. A few of you are getting it. Most of you aren't. Soon after becoming a Christian, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm a baby Christian. A few months after becoming a Christian, I'm walking down the, the aisles at Intel and doing my job, and God speaks to me very clearly, I want you to go into full-time ministry. I'm a baby Christian, and God's talking to me saying, you know, go into full-time ministry. And I start arguing with God. Who wins when you argue with God? Not you. Right, so I'm arguing with God. Right for a while, and finally I lay at a fleece before God and says, Okay, God, God, I give up. I'm ready to go into full time ministry if this happens. And as soon as I did that, the response from God was, The workplace is your ministry. Colossians 3 23 and 24, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that you receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Now, we're going to try this one more time. I give you two chances. Let's try it one more time. How many of you are Christians? How many of you are full-time ministers? If you have claimed the name of Jesus Christ, you are a full-time minister. A few of you, vocationally, all of you are full-time ministers if you claim the name of Jesus Christ because you are full-time ministers in the workplace, in the home place, in the school place, in the marketplace. You have been called to full-time ministry. So, how many of you are full-time ministers? Amen. Amen. Tim, you got a lot more recruits. Now, the question then is, how do you do that? And as I mentioned before, the first thing is be a great employee. If you're not the best in the school place, in the home place, in the marketplace, in the job place, you have no ministry. Because if Jesus Christ is your CEO, you get to look past all the crap. If you get the promotion, praise God. If you don't get the promotion, praise God. He has something better for you. And the politics, are you consumed in that? No. You get to look past and rise above all of those. You need to show up as a Christian in the marketplace as none others can. One of the things I'd say is, don't be afraid to be this integrated person in the marketplace. You know, we had a great service on Sunday, right, at Central Christian Church. You should have heard that fabulous speaker we had yesterday. Okay, you can lie a little bit. Um, but show up as an integrated person. Things like, may I pray for you? You know, I've, asked, I've said that to thousands. I'm not asking them to pray with me. May I pray for you? I've had... Thousands of people, many of them as atheists and agnostics that don't even believe in God. But if you ask them in a time of need, will they deny your prayers? Right? May I pray for you? Right? Be inquisitive of other people's faiths. 
the more that you ask about other faith and other perspectives, the more you get to talk about your own faith. You know, what is that crazy Diwali stuff anyway? You know, why do you throw these colors in the air? And, you know, I was just talking to a friend, uh, one of the guys that works at Intel uh, or at VMware this week, and he's exhibiting, they have in the Hindu tradition, they have a 30-day ceremony of the passing of his father where every day there's a religious observance. Wow. Hmm, I think that's pretty interesting. And I just got into a discussion. The more I engage about his faith, the more you get to talk about your faith. I'll say, be transparent. You know, I'm this visible Christian CEO. You know, I'm like the dodo bird. How many Christians are there in Silicon Valley? Not many. How many of them have visible Christian leadership positions of highly pluralistic, right, uh, secular firms? What a great opportunity to show up. Love Mondays. Show off. Uh, and, you know, you, you will plant seeds that you will have no idea. I just found out a seed this, le- this past week that I had no idea that I have helped plant over 30 years ago. Have you ever heard of Christ Church of the Valley in Phoenix? One of the largest churches in America. On the average Sunday, 35,000 people show up to their services in the Phoenix area. Stunning. Turns out the senior pastor, uh, Ashley, worked for Intel. I spoke at an Intel Christian Bible Network. Uh, event, a group that I helped to start inside of Intel. His father I knew, Larry, and he said, because of that talk that day, I decided to pursue external ministry. A seed I hadn't heard of t- till that moment in time. And he and his father both left Intel and started Christ Church of the Valley. Today, 35,000 members in Phoenix. I had never known that seed was planted. Who knows what seeds God has for you to be planting in the lives of those that you uniquely get to interact with in the school place, in the home place, in the marketplace, in the workplace. Be a full-time minister for the Lord Jesus Christ. When Linda and I, we were living in the Bay Area for 10 years, we moved to Oregon for 20 years, we moved to Boston for three years, VMC, and then we're moving back to the Bay Area. As we're moving back to the Bay Area, Linda had said when we moved to Oregon, she made this declaration, I'm never coming back. Now, never is one of those powerful words that God almost laughs anytime we say it. So as we're moving back to the Bay Area, she is like crawling across the nation. And, you know, there are scratch marks left across Nebraska and Montana. You know, she's coming back here because she did not want to come back here. I'm sorry. You all are wonderful people. I don't know why she didn't like you. But anyway, right. (laughs) But as we're crawling back, you know, but we felt very much that God had a higher purpose for us coming back to the Bay Area. And clearly our family and the grandkids being here. Oh, what a blessing that is. But also, we felt there was a higher purpose in me having this big, visible job. And in it, we decided to, could we do, could we start, could we help in creating a Bay Area city gospel movement? And we said, boy, if, you know, we can have these first business leaders and Christian leaders come together, can we start to bring about a movement for the Bay Area? And the first meeting we had, uh, I invited uh, three, uh, Francis Chan, Chip Ingram, and John Orkberg, maybe the most three nationally recognized figures 
in the Bay Area to meet. You know, and I can convene. I'm a CEO. I ask people to show up. They generally show up, right, you know, for it. They had never met each other. Yeah, I was just blown away. How are you going to be executing one, like Jesus calls us to in John, and you don't even know each other? And out of that has emerged TBC, Transforming the Bay with Christ. Now, how many of you think of the Bay Area as a rich area for the gospel? Any of you? Yeah, you're way optimist. Four factoids about the Bay Area. The richest area on human earth. Arguably the most influential area on the earth. One of the least churched areas in the nation. And one of the least philanthropic areas in America. Isn't that incredible? The richest and the least philanthropic? So I say our mission field, you and my, our mission field is rich, influential, miserly pagans. Woohoo! Because when we're in the radical minority, that's when God shows up. And out of that has emerged TBC, Transforming the Bay with Christ. The idea of unify, bring together the Christian leadership of the Bay Area, amplify works of service to the Bay Area, and finally, multiply the churches. That we might bring revival in our day, in our land, to the Bay Area. And this is what we're up to now. Linda and I, and you know, initiating this effort. And today we have over 30 pastors' networks. Some 700 churches are now formally participating with TBC in the Bay Area because I believe that we can see revival in our day, in our bay. So in summary, maybe some of the thoughts of today are helpful for your juggling act that you're on. And please join with us in bringing revival to our bay in our day. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the great things that you have done. Oh, what a pleasure it is to be here at Central Christian Church. My mind is flooded with memories. And it is so encouraging to see your faithfulness in these people, in this place of Central Christian Church on Meridian Avenue. Oh, Lord Jesus, may you be praised. And may you make every one of these mighty, full-time ministers for your kingdom. Amen.